0: Welcome to podcast 1201. We are here on a wonderful sunny June evening. It's uh, it's absolutely wonderful. People are flocking to the beaches, the beer gardens. They're getting out and about, and it's uh, seemingly approaching the uh, well. We're coming up to June the 21st now, where we'll be lifting the lockdown measures. Also, we are promised. I am joined
1: by Ollie woolwin Hello, everyone. I hope you're doing well.
0: I'm joined by Bradley Allsop.
1: Hi, thanks. Hope you're enjoying the sun.
0: And I'm joined by Callum Watt.
2: Good evening. And I think it's important to clarify at this point that we are actually all in different places. And in fact, where I am which in Lincoln, um, it's actually overcast and spitting with rain. Um, but uh, nevertheless, it's still nice and warm most days, which is lovely.
0: Oh, that's a surprise because I'm in Wakefield and it is beautiful outside. I'm in shorts and a t-shirt. Um, it just goes to show it isn't as grim as they sometimes say up north. Um, so we've got quite a uh, quite a, a line-up to get through, really. It's been a busy couple of weeks. We haven't had a podcast in a while. Um, but we've got the big news coming out of Dominic Cummings over the last couple of weeks. Some real revelations after his testament to Parliament over seven hours of uh, giving his account of what occurred during the pandemic up until his resignation as uh, Boris Johnson's Chief of Staff. We're also going to be speaking about, as I alluded to, that 21st of June date that Boris has set. Is it going to go ahead? That is a question that we will be talking about. Is a third wave about to hit us and is that going to put everything up in the air once again for businesses and individuals and then we're also going to be speaking about tim martin's comments um on the european union recently he's uh, come out and spoke about the problem of getting staff in a number of his pubs we'll be touching on that and what does that mean for hospitality in the post pandemic and post brexit britain it's certainly a lot of questions to be getting to but we'll return to them later but we'll kick off with Dominic Cummings. Now, uh, it's been an interesting couple of weeks here in the revelations that have come out of Dom. He's uh, spoken to Parliament, as I say. He has been putting a number of uh, documents and uh, files and pictures on his Twitter account, on his blog over the last couple of weeks. And he has been uh, uh, accused, I must say, but not proven to be a part of the... Uh, the leaks that have been occurring around what Boris Johnson has been saying about letting the bodies pile high, but two of the real big things that have come out of the uh, the testimony from Cummings has been firstly around Matt Hancock. Now he essentially has uh, outed Matt Hancock as being one of the most incompetent people in the government around the. Uh, around the uh, start of the pandemic, and indeed throughout, he was very clear in his testament that Hancock should go, or he should have gone actually at the start of the pandemic for what he did in the uh, in the Ministry of Health, the Department of Health. He also, another big revelation that came out was around the care homes. Again, it's, this comes under Hancock's uh, area of responsibility And he made that promise, if if we cast our mind back over a year now, that care homes would have a protective shield around them and that there was measures in place to track and trace any cases of coronavirus that were getting in. Now, we know that was complete rubbish, given that in the first wave, there was a big majority of deaths were coming in care homes. There were whole communities of people living in these care homes dying from COVID-19 because one person had got through this apparently impenetrable wall that Hancock had set up. What we really know is that people were being discharged from hospitals and sent home without any test and without any real logic to the system and how they were going to protect people. It was essentially almost a a sacrifice saying that we've got to protect the younger people. And obviously this this has caused outrage. This has caused a real... um, upset amongst people working in the care sector that they've been abandoned once again by this government. It's um, it's caused a lot of upset amongst the families that are still grieving the losses of their loved ones in these homes, places where they think they're paying a lot of money in some cases, where they think that these people are safe. And their parents, their grandparents have been killed by the incompetence of this government. And that's who are the big revelations a third one that we can talk about is also the uh, accusations of complete disarray within the government is something on this podcast we've been speaking about throughout the last year how incompetent our prime minister our government um, and the whole system seems to be around this pandemic a complete lack of preparedness a complete lack of willingness to listen to the science and put in the Economy before the lives of individuals in our country. So, I'll open it up to uh, to you guys. I'll, I'll start with Bradley. What was your take on the the and uh, what com and what Cummings has been saying over the last uh, couple of days?
1: Yeah, well, um, it it was certainly a, a good bit of political drama, wasn't it? I think that seven hours he, he went on um, in the in the meeting uh, in the hearing. Whatever you call it, whatever you want to call it, um, and I, I, I mean, I mean, they, they, let's all first of all, you know, take take that big pinch of salt to, to everything's coming. As I said, he, he's obviously, he's obviously got a lot of his own motivations um, to to. For, first of all, I suppose what he's doing is is almost. Setting his stall out on on what his legacy around COVID should be, um, and and in fairness to him, he he, he did a, a, a number of times throughout accept responsibility and and, and express regret um, for for various things. Um, but I I suppose there is also sort of like an ability, you know, in in being able to say, oh, I should have done more sooner, or I should have pushed on this harder and that sort of thing. So, so he, even even where he's accepting fault or or, or or taking on some of the blame for things, I, I still think there's maybe maybe an element of sort of image mal- management going on there anyway, um, and and uh, and that's not particularly to Cummings. I suppose any any human being that that's trying to try, trying to look back on those events is is probably going to even if it's unconsciously do that to some extent. So, so there's that side of things. Um a, a lot of the coverage in the likes so of like the Guardian and Navarra Media are focused on the fact that he. Um, he really he really lays into to Hancock and Johnson, obviously. Um and I mean you know, if the stuff he says about Hancock is true, then you know the guy should be anywhere near a cabinet position again in his life. Um and, and it as if we needed any more evidence of it, it 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 seriously calls Johnson's uh uh decision making into into question. But um but that their, their point on of our media and guardian coverage is that he, he he is remarkably uncritical of of other figures such as rishi sunat um who other reports for throughout the pandemic have suggested is, has been pushing very much for for loosened restrictions and you know for for the value of the economy so that it it's interesting to to see that you know he really lays into some figures but but pointedly hasn't for others. Um, so there's maybe some questions to be asked there about what why that is as well. So you know if it's all true uh, what he said, then um, then Johnson and Hancock, you know, in, in any fair and just political system should should be out the door. Um, but we we don't necessarily live in one of those, do we? Um, and I, I think we we should we should take a lot of what he said with um, a large a large pinch of salt. Um, I I I don't think it would be fair to to uncritically accept everything that he said without question.
0: Mm. And I suppose that's the 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 big debate. I think a lot of people have have asked whether if this came from a different source, would it be something that would be more credible, and perhaps there'll be more widespread outrage from members of the public. Callum, I'm willing to bring uh, willing. Well, I'm wondering to bring you in here and and see your take on. The, the events in in the uh, hearing. I seem to, <clears throat> seem to recall a
2: year ago, um, members of Sage complaining. <clears throat> sorry, members of Sage complaining. That's the the uh, the emergency medical panel, basically complaining that Dominic Cummings was coming into those meetings and basically putting across whatever the government's line was so uh, obviously he's complicit in all this and there is some contrition there clearly um i mean it's more in the vein of you know a criminal you know someone who's been who's been caught out and is is expressing remorse maybe that's the sort of line that he's going down and not saying that he is criminal necessarily i don't particularly want to be sued but um, that—that's the vibe that we sort of get from him when he's sitting in front of um, that panel. Um, I mean, the other thing is—I I mean, a year ago I wrote a piece uh, about, you know, on our blog about how, you know, I used to imagine that there's this 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 sort of um, oh excuse me sorry there's this sort of big. You know, warehouse or, or or a room in Whitehall somewhere, which has stacks and stacks of dusty folders, and what they are is uh, emergency plans for every sort of imaginable scenario: earthquake, tornado, uh, you know, some sort of nuclear uh, event, um, alien invasion. Even I imagine that the government has plans for all of these different scenarios no matter how sort of common or, or obscure um and that uh, a pandemic is a, a highly highly common event uh, in human history and yet it doesn't seem that they had any plans for it at all um and he's just confirmed that hasn't he uh, which is very very interesting i've just got to pop out for a moment though bear with me
0: that's all right. Uh, I hope that's not Dominic Cummings uh, threatening to see you kill him. I'm keen to bring you in as well. I just want to hear what your take on the uh, on what Cummings has been saying to Parliament.
3: I mean, it's tragic, isn't it? It's tragic. Um, if if it's uh, the case that a lot of what Dominic Cummings has to say is is true, and verifiable. I mean he, he claims that a lot of um government advisors um and people at the top of the civil service will be able to verify a lot of what he says. But um how much of that we're actually going to get maybe in this, this big COVID inquiry that they're they're putting off, maybe we'll find out some more truths then. But it, it, it is tragic that the government is um, you know, allegedly being run like it's like a bad episode of the the thick of it, which is, you know, just almost insufferably like uh satirical. Um and it's 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 hard to it's hard to imagine. I imagine it um it confirms a, a lot of uh what we were kind of thinking and what we were saying and what a lot of um critics of the government uh have been saying throughout the pandemic. And it it's just being run so badly um uh, that it's a joke. And you know, criminal lawyers I'm sure watched the the trial, the the committee meeting last week with uh, with interest because I think you know there's definitely some um you know there's a strong case to be made for for manslaughter really um especially in in care homes and especially on the front line as as health workers um it's 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 actually made me quite sad that the the news of this you know it's it's the most explosive um committee uh, hearing since since report murder was brought in all those years ago for the phone hacking scandal, and it's almost just faded away into nothingness in the in the media, isn't it? They've moved on to the next big story, but I really think um, there should have been more focus on it, and you know it should have really hit home for a lot of people in in the UK, especially those who have been affected by um, by COVID directly through their through their family or themselves. Um, yeah I, I hope that one day we'll know the truth about how this was handled, um the full truth rather than a very egotistical man and his um, and his notes and his whatsapp pictures. but we'll see, I guess.
0: Mm. Mm. and
3: that that is the 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 thing that we're
0: obviously really keen to see is actually that bigger picture, so that inquiry can't come soon enough for that. but i I also want to speak about. The, the implication of how he's uh, implicated, I suppose, Matt Hancock. So he, he seemed to really be on the attack for Hancock, um, suggesting in, in the inquiry that um, perhaps uh, the reason why he hasn't been sacked is that he's the new foreman for the uh for the government, he's gonna be effectively a human shield for Boris Johnson, Rishi Sunak, amongst others. And they, they kept him on. He's he's essentially a sitting duck now. And when the, the, the bigger picture does come out, not from just the mouth of Dominic Cummings that he'd uh he'd be the full man. And that does concern me. Um that it would just be Matt Hancock that gets this and everyone else gets away scot-free. I don't know if anyone's got a take on that, Bradley.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, if, if it's true, if, if that's what was going on, um, then essentially what's happened is that Johnson has kept in position um, uh, a woefully unprepared, a, a, a woefully inept health secretary in the middle of, in the middle of a global pandemic. Yeah. And and he's done that to to shore up his own political future and his own his own long term viability in the job. Um, if 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 we believe everything that Cummins has said and and it happened the way that Cummins says it happened, um, which you know it it I mean that speaks volumes about a person's character if that if that's the decision you make in the middle of a global pandemic. I think it it confirms every, all the worst things people say about Johnson, really, doesn't it? Um, you know to to put your own political career Ahead, essentially, of the safety of, of the population, um, by keeping in a secretary that hasn't got a pretty clear what they're doing. Um, so, yeah, but uh, again, is that really is that that much of a surprise though? Like, do do we think, uh, you know, do, are, are we surprised that Johnson would possibly make that choice? Um, I don't know. Um, but yeah, if if everything he's saying is true, then it's um, it's a it's a horrible indictment of Johnson's character, really.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, it, if it is true, and obviously we have to have that caveat, if it is true, that is incredibly worrying for the state of our, our democracy and the fact that people, by and large, aren't actually that surprised that this is going on does say a lot. And I know for, I, for one, am really not that surprised because I, you can probably count on your hands now how many people. Uh, You know, how many senior ministers, very senior ministers in the last year should have been sacked or should have resigned for things that, you know, normally you'd expect maybe one, in a whole government's, you know, whole government's reign, maybe a couple with it with the odd scandal. But this, it seems to be scandal after scandal after scandal. And people are becoming numb to it now. People, they don't really care anymore. If anything, this is a new political norm. Politicians being dodgy, making bad decisions. Oh well, they did the best they could because we set that lower bar for politicians, and that's the thing that um, has has surprised me the most is that people continue to say, despite in the face of the facts and the evidence, that this government did the best they could. Do we really think that? Do we really think that they've done the best they could if there has been one thousand two hundred and um, yeah, one thousand one hundred twenty-seven thousand eight hundred twenty-three deaths so far, and that's just in their statistics. There could be more. That we know, there are currently uh, over four million people were infected with coronavirus. It this is huge, and that's again only the people that we know about. That's I don't think that's competency. Ollie, I'm also keen to get your uh, take on it. Is is the is Hancock just being kept in place as that big deflection and then eventually he's going to be used as the full guy at the end of this all?
3: Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a possibility, isn't it? He played such an instrumental role. Um, You know, he, he was basically um, pulling the strings as it were, especially when, um actually, no, I think he was, he was incapacitated at the same time as Boris Johnson, wasn't he? But, you know, he's been instrumental throughout the pandemic and um it, it was quite a, quite a shock when he left last year um yeah i think he definitely could be to to be used to to scapegoat um accountability away from from key government ministers um but you know i guess we'll see in the inquiry um i think it has a lot of implications certainly on what we're experiencing at the moment uh, with the potential third wave which i'm sure we'll go on to talk about as well
0: And uh, yeah, thank you for that. And that brings us perfectly on, Ollie, to uh, the talk of this third wave. So we've had three lockdowns. We've had two waves in this one pandemic. Um, It's looking increasingly likely. There's a lot of chatter going on in uh, certainly in the media and amongst politicians and indeed experts. Certainly academics are coming out very strongly. In saying that the June 21st, so called Freedom Day, that we're being told about, that we've had uh, lined up in this timetable by, uh, by Boris Johnson for a while, has, uh, has been put under threat by the uh, current rise in cases and in hospitalizations. Uh, in today's COVID briefing, which was the, the 4th of June, we were told that there's been 11 new deaths. There's been 6,238 new cases. There is uh, 33 new people that have been hospitalized. And obviously, at the moment, this is a relatively low number. But that case number is the important statistic that we're looking at here. So that 6,238 number is the biggest number that we've had since March. generally speaking the people that are being infected are a lot younger um they are generally not vaccinated and we can see why and but we what we're starting to see now is the effect of this indian variant um that we have been told about over the last few weeks to a month this variant that spread very quickly across the country it's now the uh it's now the dominant variant in the UK, I think near 75% of cases I heard the other day are up to this uh, and now this variant. So it's something to be very concerned and it's spreading relatively quickly, certainly compared to the original variant, if you like. So what does this mean going forward? We are being told that June the 21st is still on the cards and so it isn't. I think a week before they're going to make a call. So we've still got 10 days that we're going to find out from recording of this podcast. We've still got 10 days for businesses to uh, wait. We've still got 10 days for people to hold fire. And yet we're seeing this uh, potential third wave building. We've only got to remember how the second wave came about. We were on the back of the summer. There was uh relatively no, low number of cases. All seemed well. We seemed to be on the way out of this. We got to September. There were whisperings of a of a of a second wave. There were whisperings that the numbers were going back up, but it wasn't re- being translated into the, uh, the the facts that we're getting in statistics. It was you know a bit like we have now drips and drabs of people, um, deaths below a hundred a day. Uh, cases not putting the NHS under too much pressure, and then suddenly it shoots through the roof once it gets a foothold. The R number's also going up again, which is something we have to consider. So the question we've got to be asking now is, does the government put the brakes on and stop this process for at least a month to see where we can get ourselves and get a few people, a few more people vaccinated? Ollie.
3: I mean that is the question isn't it I think um a few days ago Boris Johnson was saying that there are there are no signals um in in the face of all this evidence which you've just been through um that we need to we need to put off the the unlocking of the country as it were um but yeah it's just the same mistakes again isn't it time and time again we, we now we now know um from from Dominic Cumming's testimony um how reluctant um Boris is uh, locking down the country and and lo- unlocking it um and keeping it locked as well i mean sorry um yeah it's 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 kind of scary isn't it i just i don't know i, I, I don't know when we're going to learn that there there is no acceptable level of this virus and and go for a, a zero covid policy because we've just been bailed out almost haven't we it's we've been bailed out by the vaccine um and it's been been happy days for a few weeks for most people um yeah i i i think hopefully um he realized it sooner this time and learns from past mistakes um and cancels this next unlocking and um starts to vaccinate the the school children is, is now what they're calling for as well because that's where a, a lot of the the variant the new variant is spreading um you know it's taking the taking it home to their families and then you know spreading it everywhere so um yeah, as we have more more evidence that we need to be um, halting this unlocking, um, I hope he heeds the warnings, but I remain um, stubbornly pessimistic.
0: And I think we, we should be with the record of this government. And I think you're right to refer back to their form, as uh, Cummings told us about. But it was, it was evident. It was evident from the uh, herd immunity tactics that we were being told about. For such a long time um, prior to the first lockdown and it seems to me that we may be getting to that stage where that sort of policy will come in for the unvaccinated people uh, i.e young people um, that will be looking to enjoy the uh, newfound freedoms that we'll be getting after the 21st of June or whatever date that we are given Callum.
2: Yeah, um yeah. I, I would say I'm probably a little more optimistic, at least about the present course. Um, you know, because obviously last year we're now uh we seem to be follow moving towards the same sorts of well <clears throat> policies that we had in place over the summer last year. And those didn't really start to become a problem until September. Someone else noticed. The real danger, I think, as Ollie has highlighted, is that if things do start to go pear-shaped, will the government then react to that? Um, since Especially since a lot of people seem to be in this view that the vaccine is almost the magic bullet and everyone is safe now that most people are vaccinated. That's not, not really true. We haven't got the adult population vaccinated yet. My housemates are a little older than me. Uh, they're in their early 30s. Um, they've only just got their letters or their, their texts uh, to, to tell them to go and get the vaccine. Uh, I haven't got mine yet. Um, so you know and they're, they're talking about vaccinating school children, which is great but again we're not we're not quite there yet with the vaccine. I think although I have been taking advantage of it, uh, it might have been a bit premature to open up the pubs fully but um, again it doesn't seem to be. Having a catastrophic impact at the moment. There seems to be, um, unfortunately, a level of COVID transmission that the public is willing to tolerate. That's the that's the uh, that's the key thing, and I think that's what the the government will be looking at as public perception, rather than uh, rather than public health necessarily, which is a, which is a deeper problem. But um, I I do feel sorry for people in the hospitality sector, which we've discussed. You know, because obviously a lot of those people are itching to go back to work. Um, it's not been too bad, as bad for people working in security, for instance, because there is always a, a need for security people somewhere. But people working, you know, behind behind the bar and and that sort of thing, uh, and obviously they've had not much else to do um, for all of that time. But it kind of comes back to the government ultimately should have been paying those people properly to, to stay at home. Um, and obviously they won't do that. So, of course, they're going to come out to work and put them at risk. And something I was going to say as well earlier about when we were discussing care homes is, you know, I remember when I was working for Unison during the pandemic and, you know, I had so many calls from health workers, carers, who were absolutely terrified because they could see uh, people coming in who had COVID, who were just being, you know, thrown back into into the care worker system and really you know the, and these are younger people generally speaking and it's exactly the same for the hospitality sector it's most, mostly younger people if not generally even younger people in the hospitality sector who are, aren't really being necessarily taken into account so uh, like i say I'm, I'm, I'm a bit more optimistic perhaps than Holly than about um where we are going currently um, my, my fear is that the government won't react uh, appropriately when, when, if things do start to go pear-shaped. We probably, probably hopefully, will be okay during the summer, um, but we have another winter to live through and this thing isn't beaten yet. So that would be my take, uh, Callum.
0: Yeah, and I think that there's an extra step that I think that the government needs to be looking at as well um beyond uh this summer is that actually once our population is fully vaccinated and we have a lot of vaccines on order that will go well beyond that that we are starting to uh get those vaccines to other countries that need them the most and we had today um i think nepal were asking for support from britain in terms of getting their vaccine program off the ground because actually uh a long lasting reopening is also dependent on there not being a variant of COVID 19 that is resistant to vaccinations. Which, if we go the way we're going about it at the moment, is very likely indeed. So, we could, as you say, we could open up relatively soon, uh, everything be okay over the summer, um, everyone gets their vaccine, everyone from age 12 to to 12, uh, 120, they get their vaccine. Everyone's fine in the UK for now. We then get to the winter, by which point, because we've neglected the rest of the world and failed to show any solidarity, and actually failed to follow the basic science of of how viruses work, then actually we're going to get caught out and be back in the same situation because we're faced with a more uh, resistant uh, strain of the virus. That the current vaccines that we've just spent the last six months nearly rolling out and then rendered useless so that's got to be the next stage uh bradley what's your take on june the 21st is it a go or a no go for you
1: yeah i i mean i have to confess i i've i'd fully bought into the the whole the whole freedom day 21st of june um and it I mean, if we if things keep going in the direction they are, I I think it would be wise to hold off on that date on on the full unlocking. Um, as much as it pains me to say that, what I, what I think we really need to avoid is a last minute decision. Um, what we need to avoid is the situation we had over Christmas, where there were grand promises made to people um about loosening of restrictions um over, over the Christmas period, and then quite. quite with with not much notice, there there were sudden changes, weren't there? And uh, I remember people, you know, packing onto trains um to avoid to avoid last minute restrictions and all that sort of stuff. So I, I think if the government is going to delay that loosening of restrictions, they need to be really clear and and to make that decision sooner rather than later. I think yeah you know, if we're if we're making that decision a few days before the twenty first you know seventeenth eighteenth whatever I think that that's too late I think the government really needs to make that call in the next few days really, um, to to give people time because you know pe- people are already going to be planning things for June twenty first I know I've already got plans for for that week, um that that may have to change um you know if if, if restrictions uh, if there's going to be any changes to, to the loosening of restrictions so they need to make the call sooner rather than later, um, I. I think there is also a question when we consider restrictions of actually how compliant people will be with them now as well. So I, I, this was a big concern um, right at the start, I think, of the first lockdown, and it was proven and founded. You know, there, there was this suggestion in some quarters that there would, um, that the the British people were uniquely fond of freedom, which I think is probably a bit of a silly claim to make. But but anyway, some people feel that's true, and um, and there was this suggestion that that um, yeah people just wouldn't comply with with a national lockdown, and and it would. Will be for naught because people people just wouldn't listen to it. People wouldn't just stay in their homes, um, and, and obviously some people did break the rules. But by and large, actually, people were remarkably compliant throughout all all three lockdowns. I think actually, um, above and beyond perhaps what a lot of people might have suspected, they would. Yeah, if you if you were told two years ago what restrictions would be coming in, and were asked to guess how how compliant and not not just compliant in, in a begrudging way but I, I think you know a lot of people generally supported them you know polls have shown throughout the public generally has been been behind a lot of the restrictions to be honest i think i think if you'd have said that to people two years ago people would be quite surprised by that actually um so but I, I do think it's different now because as you point as people point out already you know the vaccination program is is so far ahead so that obviously reduces a lot of the risks that might have been there uh, the the demographics of the people that are getting this is, pr- I think, Calum, you said it's primarily people that are unvaccinated and, and younger people. So I think a lot of those things reduce the risks of transmission to to some degree, not that we should be completely complacent about it, but it is a different picture to what we've seen in spikes in, in previous uh, times throughout the pandemic. Um, but also I think, uh, and I and I would count myself amongst this, I think people are fed up. I, th- I think there's a psychological barrier. I think there's only so much of restrictions and lockdown and and not being able to do certain things and all the rest of it and there's only so much that that people can actually take I think there's only so much of that that actually it's fair to ask of people to take um um, yeah I say this as someone that's been very supportive of of restrictions throughout lockdown um but I think now that the the real risk of of death has been dramatically reduced um I think it it becomes a lot harder, I think, for, for to ask people to take on restrictions. Um and that I think that becomes doubly problematic when the government talks talks loosening of restrictions up as well and, and, and gets people's hopes up and, and paints, you know, big rosy days like June twenty first where, you know, everyone's gonna go out on the sesh basically. Um so yeah, it, it, there, I don't think there are easy answers actually at this point. But I, I, I do think we should be holding back the restric- the loosening restrictions on the twenty first. The government needs to make that decision sooner rather than later. Um, yeah, it's it, it's tricky. I think. Yeah,
0: yeah it is, it is very tricky, and obviously we the government should be putting lives first and then making decisions about the economy and reopening. Um, second because ultimately that's the the decent and human thing to do but actually uh, time and time again we've been proved that that's the, the 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 alternative is 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 the case but we can hope that perhaps they will listen to the science i think that the current position that we're in this sort of last stage this last stage in post before we uh, before we fully unlock is actually not a bad situation to be in in terms of liberty and freedoms we're certainly not or it certainly doesn't feel like we're in a lockdown most people are free to travel around the country as they see fit um you can go to the pub you can go for a meal um all that we ask is that you track and trace you wear a mask indoors while you're milling around in a shop i don't think that that's a huge restriction if it means that we're going to spend it in this sort of uh, limbo for for a couple more months just to ensure that enough people are vaccinated and then there is no serious risk to having another large wave or spike that is going to risk the NHS and risk the lives of, of thousands of people. So we're going to have to keep our eye on that one. I imagine our next podcast, we may uh, actually know what's happening or we may be getting more of a hint of what's happening.
1: So we'll certainly keep our eye on that can i can i just come in there callum sorry um yeah sure I, yeah I, I i do agree with you i i, I think the, the place right now i think is, is an acceptable place in terms of of, of the balance um there's, may, there's maybe some questions around you know things we, we can, can't do i think callum earlier said about the pubs if 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 cases continue to rise should should we have loads of people jammed in pubs i don't know there's a question to be asked there maybe but but in general, yeah, I don't think we're restricting the government too much at this point. Um, I, I think my my comments around that the barrier to to restrictions would be is if if the government was going to start rolling back on things that we, we've already got again, um, as they'd had to in the past. Um, and I think that becomes a difficult calculus to make. I think um, I don't mm. I don't think we should underestimate the impact of continued restrictions that, that that we've had on people i i suppose the other point is i've not heard much about the test and trace system for a few months but obviously that was a a huge failure of the government um in in the first and second waves um so actually if we do if we do get to a point where we're getting quite a lot of cases um as as the trajectory is starting to look like um w- will it matter if people are, are, are logging into to wherever they go for a restaurant or whatever Will any, of, will any of those check-ins really matter if the test and trace system still isn't up to scratch? I don't know if they've made improvements in the last few months. I've got heard much on it. Um, but certainly the state it was in previously suggests that if we, if we get to a high number of cases again, then all the check-ins in the world aren't necessarily going to help um, with containing the virus.
0: Mm. Yeah, just just a last point on that, I think. As far as I understand it, um, check and trace, now it's been made mandatory. In restaurants and pubs, as far as I understand it, it's now um, at a capacity or at a, at a level that can handle that amount of people. I, I don't see the logic in inviting or, or making it mandatory for people to track and trace if they can't, uh, if the, if the system can't handle that. But obviously, this government has got a record of incompetency, and the uh, well, the, the uh, test and trace scandal. Last year, it highlights how they tell us one thing and and the reality is something completely different. But uh, moving on to something where they're telling us one thing and the reality is completely different. Tim Martin was back in the news this week. Uh, Some know him as Tim Weatherspoon. Uh, He is obviously one of the uh, directors of of the Weatherspoon's pub chain. Throughout the pandemic, he's popped up every so often with uh, some real uh, words of wisdom or uh, in our case, in our criticism of him, is just talking out his ass most of the time. So if we remember at the start, he uh, he told all of his staff instead of going on uh, on furlough, I'm going to invite you to resign and go and work somewhere else, such as Tesco's, uh, that will take you on. Um, he is obviously a prominent Brexiteer. He's put a lot of money into the Brexit campaign uh, and has been using his feigned Weatherspoon's news, which is a magazine left on the tables in all of the Weatherspoon's chains to promote his uh, pro-Brexit propaganda, highlighting some of the, uh, in quotes, fantastic work that the, uh, the government is doing to deliver on the demands of the British people. But this chief Brexiteer has come out in the last couple of days and said that Brexit has had a impact on staffing in the pubs. He said that the uh, the the pub's unable to properly staff itself. He says that, and this is namely in some of the coastal areas. Um, remember, some of the areas that voted very strongly for Brexit, they're unable to staff them fully or to a high enough standard now that a large chunk of his workforce has left for home after being booted out by him and his Brexiteer friends. He said that... Uh, and this is from the Daily Telegraph he was quoted in saying that he's in favour of a more liberal visa scheme for EU workers to tackle those shortfalls in staffing um, but he since denied that there's any uh, <laughs> since this hit the headlines he since denied that he he ever said such a thing and that there's no such thing as a, a staff shortage um, because of Brexit. but this does uh, obviously raise some important questions uh, about the hospitality sector. In the post-Brexit, post-pandemic era, so uh, Callum, being someone that's worked in uh, in hospitality and in Lincoln, how would you say that Brexit may have impacted it in Lincoln and maybe as a wider picture?
2: I was I was having a conversation with someone uh, uh, who is a manager actually in the in the industry um, during uh, during last summer. And um, we were actually at odds initially um, because I said that there had been a, a significant slump in the hospitality industry in the years since Brexit. And by the way, he wasn't actually a Brexiteer. He, he wasn't in favour of Brexit at all. Um, but he said that nevertheless, the hospitality industry was actually uh, was still booming. And um, by the way, this was, you know, Uh, in the break between the two waves during the summer. Um, So I think but the the reason for that slight uh, difference in perception, I think, is that primarily I was working in the nightclub sector of the hospitality industry, where I think there has been a a slump over the years uh, in in people going out. Whereas um, in the restaurant sector, uh, the restaurant sector has actually been uh, doing reasonably okay, but of course, that one of the things that he said is that Brexit was definitely certainly a threat to his business because, of course, um, it was affecting supply chains, um, and we haven't really seen the full impact of that yet because the hospitality sector, in, in general, hasn't returned from from the pandemic. I, I have been. Um, out to eat a couple of times uh, in the last few months. And it's it's much more common than it used to be for certain items just to not be on the menu. Um, and, and I do wonder if what he was saying to me last year uh, is coming true in, in that respect. Um, what, how much that general difference between the sort of early evening economy and uh, the, the nighttime economy... Um, how much that's down to Brexit or, or, or cultural change, I, I couldn't really um, honestly say. But certainly, Brexit is a threat to the hospitality sector, um, and I think it remains to be seen whether it's actually the, the full impact it's actually going to uh, have had uh, on that sector. We'll only really know. Um, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was uh, at the pub yesterday, um, and most of the people there were you know younger people lots of older people are still shielding or, or staying away so i think until uh, the economy in general is at, at its usual capacity if you like i think we won't know until then how much of an effect the other big issue that we've had in the last couple in the last few years um is is going to uh, its impact will be fully realized that would be my assessment
0: mm. Yeah. Yeah and and Ollie would you say that uh what uh, Tim Martin has come out with is is a uh probably really a, a microcosm of the bigger issues that we're facing in terms of the hospitality sector after Brexit?
3: I mean, yeah, potentially. Um certainly potentially if I was um you know, if I was a, a worker in the EU and I was looking to uh come to the to the UK to, to, um, you know, make a life for myself and get a job and, uh, and find a place to live. I would certainly, um, think twice about being employed, uh, precariously by someone as irrational and, uh, just idiotic as, as Tim Martin. Certainly if I knew him as much as I did about him as I do, um, i I mean, yeah, it, it. I think it. It's massively had an impact on on a lot of different industries in the UK. But I think hospitality is definitely going to be one of them. I think, as Callum says, uh, the full fruits of that aren't going to be known for some time, potentially. Um, but you know, w- with stuff like uh, UK exports to other countries, you, the the signs are already there. It's you know, it's it's catastrophic for for UK's export industry, and it, it could be potentially um, catastrophic for for employment in the hospitality sector which as you say is is one of the biggest service sectors in the uk um yeah um, and i think we we mentioned um before the podcast i think about people retraining during the the lockdown um you know because i i speak with uh, with eight years experience in the hospitality sector it's it's not a job i would want to be in um for a particularly long time uh i think it's fair to say it's it's brutal it, the pay isn't very good you get really bad bosses it's very precarious employment uh the benefits aren't very good it's it's generally not something that people want to do for a long time um unless they have to and you know i would certainly think twice even if i had to about working for someone like tim martin
0: yeah and uh i think it's good that we've had a we've had a couple of perspectives now from people that have worked in the industry to understand the real pressures that it's experiencing, not just because of Brexit and the pandemic, but also because of the uh, some of the uh, very bad practices that go, go on there. And it's not all businesses, obviously. We've got to say it with that caveat, but there are a number of uh, I suppose we we'll say a couple of businesses that are rather dodgy. Uh, they're exploiting workers and using low wages and poor conditions to make a bigger profit and that's obviously going to have an impact now people have seen uh, a different way of maybe taking advantage of their time off over the furlough period to actually take new opportunities and retrain and and try and forge a future for themselves where actually they'll be paid well and have good conditions imagine that 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 utopia hey um bradley it's it's interesting that tim martin's come out with this saying that you want say a more liberal visa scheme so we could have eu workers that would fill the shortfalls here in the uk in the labor market if only we had something like that in the past that would help us
1: i mean yeah you you can make it up you can't you can't make it up really can you um i, I think what we're going to see over the next few years is um a number of things we were told were not going to be problems, uh, things that we were told were going to be really easy to fix, um, things that no one actually even really considered um, that might be a problem um, with extracting ourselves from the web of agreements and and and, and, and relationships that was the EU. Um, we're increasingly going to find that actually these things are problems, uh, actually these things aren't easy, uh, actually, there's lots of things we didn't consider and lots of complications we had not thought about. Um, and, you know, I, I would maybe have a, a little bit more confidence um, in our ability to navigate those issues that are going to keep coming up um, if we had a government that showed some degree of uh, effectiveness, uh, of competency, um, but... So, I mean, certainly when it—I mean, I'm—I'm I'm sure they're probably doing something, right? Um, but certainly when it comes to the most pressing issues, um, uh, yeah, you know, like, like COVID, and uh, like you know, coherent plan on tackling climate change, all these sorts of things, um, we've—we've we've got a government that doesn't really have a clue. So, my confidence in our ability to collectively manage these challenges as they come up, in, in you know, in fair and reasonable and effective ways. Over the next few years, um, my my confidence isn't particularly high, um, shall we say. So, yeah, I mean, it's frustrating. You know, as, as a remainer, someone that voted remain and, and would vote vote remain again, um, it's frustrating to see that a lot of the things that that were dismissed um, or you know, they were project fear or, or whatever else, or however else they so dealt with at the time. These things are are gonna keep coming up, and it and it's gonna be frustrating. And um, but I suppose that there is a there is a strategic question there for the left, and 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 well, for those that are remainers on the left, um, is how do we approach that? Because I suppose just sort of sitting there and being, like, oh, well, I told you so, like sure, that's really tempting, but actually, is it constructive? and Does it help? It's not. It's not gonna help us in the polls, and it's not gonna help fix the problems. So. I, I suppose we need to think. Um, I suppose, particularly the Labour Party, how how do we get begin to offer positive solutions to these issues that are going to come up? Um, how I think we've sort of just tried to dodge talking about Brexit and um, the Starmer for understandable reasons. Um, but I think maybe we now need to start having a bit more of a, a, a proactive approach to some of these Brexit related issues that are going to come up, and, and what 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 are we going to what what positive vision vision are we offering them that isn't oh let's just go back to the eu or oh we we told you so um so i so, say yeah there's there's a strategic question there for for left remainers i suppose
0: absolutely and i think that we could talk about that sort of thing for a whole podcast really in terms of the uh the approach of the left now going forward because it seems to be that things are realigning and Certainly, the Labour Party is just standing still while everything's moving around. it. So there's a lot to talk about there. And we certainly should dig into that because ultimately, we do have to have a viable and positive policy platform that is going to appeal to people and make a difference in their lives. And I think you're completely right to highlight the fact that as fun as this story is, just saying we told you so is not going to solve it now. People have voted to leave. We've left now what do we do we build a a better future now um and we don't just say well let's just rejoin because actually that won't solve all of the problems because we had plenty of issues in this country long before we decided to leave the european union it's not the be all and end all but we'll finish there for the podcast so uh any last words ollie
3: no that's it from me goodbye everyone
0: Brilliant. And um, Bradley, a goodbye from you.
3: Yeah,
1: bye, folks. Um, if you're like me, make sure to apply lots of uh, sun cream. I'm already in danger of being burnt. Um, we're on the, <laughs> what, the 4th of June, is it? The 4th of June and I'm already in danger of burning.
0: There we go. That's a that's a goodbye from a very uh, burnt Bradley. And uh, a goodbye from Callum Watt.
2: Take care. Wear sunscreen. Join a union. See you next time
0: fantastic and it's a goodbye from me stay safe everyone obviously keep your eyes peeled for that news and we will be back with you very soon indeed